you know, my crime didn't determine who I was, you know. So with that said, I started to become a mentor inside the prison. Welcome back to The Steep Road to Freedom, the ACLU of Ohio's limited series podcast. I'm your host, Selena. I'm your host, Malikta. We're taught that people are innocent until proven guilty, but the reality is that our society treats people as if they are guilty from the start. The pervasive use of cash bail compromises the integrity of the entire criminal legal system. It punishes the innocent while prioritizing criminalization over reintegration and rehabilitation. Our goal is to educate and mobilize the public to put an end to the state's reliance on cash bonds, diverting people away from jail in the first place. Last week, we looked at the trauma of cash bail through an intersectional framework. We defined intersectionality, then explored the structural causes underlying the high rates of incarceration for Black women, people of color from the LGBTQ community, and people of color part of the disability community. This episode will feature an in-depth interview with Cleveland-based artist, activist, new father, and dear friend, Joe Sharp. We commissioned Joe to create an original art piece to serve as the campaign's visual storytelling tool. His work draws audiences towards the heart-wrenching narratives of pretrial detention and is prominently featured on our website, ohbailreform.com. Joe quickly became an integral member of the campaign, traveling with me to speak in cities statewide, helping to facilitate community conversations on the inequality of cash bail and the prison industrial complex. He continues to use art as an expressive mobilization tool. Joe has been featured as a special guest at the Cleveland ACLU 100 celebration, various community art panels, reentry events, local radio stations, and the ACLU magazine. Joe began drawing and painting during 26 years behind bars at the Marion Correctional Institution, or what he refers to as his time on the quote, plantation. Growing up near one of the most heavily redlined areas of East Cleveland, the realities of poverty and mass incarceration shaped his early life. Joe's first introduction to the cash bail system was at 14, raising money for his mother's bail. I, uh, I grew up most like most kids in Cleveland. Ended up with having a, a drug-addicted parent, uh, no father. My father was murdered before I was born. You know, my mom was 16 when she had me, and I was her second child. You know, so just the, the, the typical things that you see in the city of Cleveland. So with, with that said, I was uh, just kind of a go-getter. You know, I ended up stumbling and, into crime, so I did a juvenile stint at the age 19. I went away for a long time. Uh, At the age 19, I was charged and convicted of murder and did 18 to life sentence, where I ended up doing 26 years of my life and coming home at the age 45 and on December 4th, 2017. So while incarcerated is where I really rediscovered that there was a mission and a calling. You know, and I didn't, you know, most people just, you know, we born and then we die. I just wanted to, right now, I want to put some more things in the middle of that. You know, like helping people as much as I can. You know, I became an artist. I I love activism. I love helping. I, I just want to try to do some right now with the second half of my life. So I want to take it a 
back a little bit, and I want to ask you about your first introduction to the cash bail or the bail system. Can you talk a little bit more about that experience and, and your introduction to cash bail? Yeah, so the first time I ever uh, ran into a situation with bail and really uh, where it really affected me was uh, when I was 18. I was locked up for an assault, and my bond was a, what is it called, a personal bond. I just signed my name and I really didn't know. I was like, well, how'd that happen? You know, but then when I ended up being incarcerated for the murder, my bond was so high, you know, uh, I had a quarter of a million dollar bond and I couldn't pay it. So I had to sit. And what I witnessed was so many guys that could not get out on bond and their bonds were 300, 200, $150. And it really dawned on me that, wow, you know, a lot of people can't come up with that. You know, and you'd be thinking there's that to some people, you know, it would be easy. But to others, family members aren't just sitting around with 300 bucks. And now that I'm out here living, you know, I see all the bills and the insurances and things you got to pay. So I know that, you know, when it comes time to a bond, everybody don't just have that. You know, you try mm-hmm. to, like, get a few family members to collectively, like, pitch in or something. So talk to me about how you created the focal image of the campaign, which is the state of Ohio. And on four quarters of of the image, there is a different message that we're trying to convey. So walk me through that process of getting commissioned and becoming the artist that's created this image that is now a permanent fixture of the campaign. Yeah, well, so I guess it all starts when we met. We wanted a piece where you didn't have to have words necessarily to say what's going on in the piece. It's how the government and the system, rather, they really don't care about the people. It's all about money over people, you know, because they'll lock people up and put a price out there. And it's like people can't get to that and people don't have it. They don't care about locking people up, you know. And, And then the second part was the people. So when you think about bail or bonds, it affects more than just us. You know, like it affects your family when you you you've done something or not all the time because there are people that get incarcerated and locked up for things they did not do. You know, so and at the time when you say bail and the system says you are innocent until proven guilty, but your bond is set before you're proven guilty. You know, so how am I innocent? But if they, based on the crime or the offense, it determines your bond. You know how high some people, some of these counties, no matter what speed and jaywalking, you know, you might have, oh, it's five hundred dollars, whatever mm-hmm. it is. They just I don't know how they pick these numbers. But, you know, so now people have to try to come together. So the people are hurt and affected by the bond. You might have a job and now you can't get out on bond. Now you might miss work and then you might get fired. So then the workplace is affected, you know, so it's just a lot of different things that can go wrong. And then you have where there are people in agencies that are trying to help and trying to reach out. So people are offering support and trying to figure out a way to make some kind of change or a difference. And then last, you have those that are really like campaigning and pushing, trying to see what are the best things that can be done. You know, people are are action, you know, and action is being taken place. So I wanted to put all that Everything that I just said, I wanted to put it into one picture. And then when you and then we have Ohio enclosing it. it. I mean, this goes on in other other states, but we are here. We are Ohioans. For some reason, we have probably the third or fifth highest prison you know, population. 
that's sad, but... It seems like as you were growing up, you were living in a space where you were not receiving the kind of service or the kind of help or the kind of society that you deserved. And really, what made you switch into activism when what you had received was not the positivity that you deserved? What made that switch in your mind that this is the path that I want to go on now? For me, it started when I was inside. So doing a, a life sentence is different than doing three years or four years, you know. So the difference, one of the biggest differences is when you got four years, you know, you know you're going home, you have that. So, but when you're doing a life sentence, there's no certainty. So I had been reading and studying and all of these things because I wanted to make myself a better person. You know, I just wanted, I knew I wasn't the monster that people had probably thought or said at one point. You know, my crime didn't determine who I was, you know. So with that said, I started to become a mentor inside the prison. You know, I was in programs like the version, Ohio's version of Scared Straight. You had the Ray program at different prisons and Heart to Heart at Grafton, where I spent 16 years. So that's where I was starting to have conversations with young folks. And a lot of times I found out that a lot of people grew up just like I did. No father figure, none of that. So I could have been bitter and just thought about myself. But at some point I said, you know what? I might never leave. So what I can do is help while I'm in there. Try to help these young guys, not necessarily become their father. But what I try to do is just offer advice and help. You know, so I just wanted to give back. That was the only way I could give back at the time. So I was going to be like an agent of change from within the prison system. Mm -hmm. And that basically pushed me towards... Uh, being an activist, even from the inside. So a lot of times people don't know there's activists on the inside of the prison. Can you talk to me more about people you saw there and the activism that existed? Yeah, so later on, I became the chairman of the American Red Cross. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where I really started to do a lot. You know, like my membership, I was uh, personally hands-on with a lot of guys and a lot of people. And I tried to be one of them guys that got along with everybody. So I was able to grow by having conversations with different people, you know? And so inside a prison, you have, you always got these organizations, you know, and I'm not talking, uh, I'm talking like the American Red Cross, the VVA, the JCs, you know, Music Togetherness, you got all the MAACP, all of these organizations are inside the prisons. So even inside the prisons, it's not just people lifting weights and playing basketball. You have some people that are in college and doing things to try to better their lives. You know, and there's always some older guys that's sitting around trying to tell young folks, hey, man, put your pants up. Don't use the N word. Uh, study your history, you know, study about your culture, study religions. And so these are the things that go on in prison that people don't see or don't hear about as much. So in these organizations, it's all basically ran by prisoners. So young kids get an opportunity to become chairmen and vice presidents and sergeant at arms and treasurers and bookkeepers. For So you learn these skills that a lot of that stuff helped me today out here. So a lot of times people don't know that a lot of young men pick up some good skills inside the prisons. Did you find that there were some folks where being in those positions or members of those organizations were the first time they were offered leadership opportunities in that way? Of course, I was one. First I was kicking, I didn't want to be a part of none of that stuff. 
you know, I would be like, there's a whole bunch of old white folks. What am I going to do in the Red Cross? You know, and then after a while, man, you, you, you know, I made friends with some of the people that you would never imagine. We, are, we come from totally different backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know, so that's one of the big bonuses that I got from in there. And you grow as a person. It helps you so much. There are folks who've never known anybody who's had contact with the system. What would you say to someone who's never had an experience, either knowing someone who's been in jail or knowing someone who's been in prison? And how do you build that kind of spiritual community to move and mobilize? What made the biggest impact was knowing and meeting people that changed my life that never had any connection with prison. Because a lot of people, you think it doesn't affect me, has nothing to do with me. I ain't never been in prison. My family hasn't. But it all it's all connected. If I didn't learn anything and I came out and I was bitter and I hated people and I would have came out here a monster. So we need to stop all this division and we need to band together. It's everybody's issue. If you've never had someone in your family incarcerated, start thinking, what if? Because one slip and anybody could be there. You know, start looking into whatever it is and put yourself in someone's shoes. And I think that makes us better people. In my eyes, when you put yourself in someone else's shoes, you know, and it kind of like a, a sense of empathy or sympathy. And you can kind of relate like, wow, you know what? That could have been my son. Mm-hmm. That could have been my daughter. That could have been me. Do you think that bail reform can be what dismantles mass incarceration because it's that front door? It plays a part because when you think of, we say mass incarceration, you have people doing 30, 40 years for a drug charge. Didn't kill anyone, didn't hurt anyone technically, you know, and it's a lot of it's a big money game, you know, because the people with money can afford to pay a bond. Now they can get out and research and find a good attorney. But when you stuck in there, can't get out on bond. You can't go to work. You can't go let people know what's going on. You lose everything. So now this person that's simply lost everything might flip another switch like, okay, I have nothing to live for. I have nothing worth being humble, you know, so now they might turn into some of these monsters or some of these people that just say, OK, I give up probably because they couldn't pay a simple bond. You never know what where, what it might lead to. Where do you want to go next? What's next for you? Right now, I, I just want to raise my daughter right. You know, I just want to be a great husband to my wife, you know, and, and just try to because these are the things that were not promised to me. You know, so I'm, I'm really simple when it comes to that, you know, because At 19, I was facing a death penalty, you know, so every day that I'm out here is a blessing. You know, I want to make a difference. I want to show people that there's a lot more, you know, there's a lot more to the world than a stack of money. You know, it's just too much. You know, life is so precious. We, our friendships, my friendships and connections mean so much more to me than than all the money that you can probably have. You know, that that's something that I, I missed when I was away. I wasn't missing the money. Mm-hmm. That's not nothing I missed, you know. Talk to me about art and activism and when you realize that your artistic gift could be a tool for your activism. Art and activism has always been hand in hand. I don't care what time, when you go, you know, because art is something that can spark a conversation. People look at it and be like, well, what do you see? You know, you can look at a Caravaggio and be like, what's going on? Why do the figures look twisted? You can look at Basquiat, who people didn't understand. You look at his artwork and be like, 
he was always putting a message. He was always talking about the system, the government, black people, you know, and, and different artists, they depict what they see in their eyes and in their view. And that's what I want to do. I want to put art out there where I might not always be able to sit down and have a conversation with people like we haven't. Mm-hmm. So if I put an art piece out there and people can look at it and then they, it's like for that moment, they in my world, they can sit and try to figure out they're figuring out what was I thinking at the time I did that. And that means mm-hmm. something to me. That's powerful because especially when I'm doing a piece that's a message and it's a message that I'm not going to put any words on piece. I want you to look and tell me what you see, what you think, you know, so that's why. Through art, I want to try to put messages out there for people to see a different thing. You know, just for that moment, whatever you whatever was going on in your mind or in the world that day, when you look at that art piece and you can like wherever you want to go with it. This week's episode is sponsored by Towards Employment. Towards Employment has proudly served Northeast Ohio since 1976 by connecting people to careers. Learn more about their work at towardsemployment.org. Back to the episode. Joe's artwork and his personal story has anchored our bail reform campaign and brought about an even greater sense of urgency to reform the system. I'm always amazed and enlightened with every conversation I have with him. His story puts the issue of bail and pretrial detention into a larger familial context. He articulates the relationship between pretrial detention and harsher sentencing outcomes, through the stories of men he's seen in jail and in and out of prison. I completely agree, and the way that he discusses mounting barriers to reentry and breaking cycles of incarceration without romanticizing or overgeneralizing his experiences or triumphs. There is so much power in claiming and reclaiming your narrative. If you want to check out Joe's work, he's on social media at Joe Buck Sharp on Instagram and Facebook. J-O-E-B-U-C-K-S-H-A-R-P. You can also see his signature campaign piece on our bail website, ohbailreform.com. This podcast is a project of the ACLU of Ohio. Don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe. Again, we're your co-hosts, Malik Tamalaku and Selena Cumming. And this podcast would not be made possible without our village of amazing colleagues, Claire Chevrier, James Kazmatka, and Jeff Miller. Music and editing by Dan Rogan. Mix and mastering by Sean Rule Hoffman. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can catch us on Twitter at ACLU Ohio and on Facebook and Instagram at ACLUOH. Check out our bill website at ohbillreform.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.